Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are excited to be back in 2018 and we're kicking off a series called Reclaim. Today's conversation is called The Progress of Faith. To get started, we got a question for you. Pretty simple, what is faith? Enjoy. So the first thing that we're going to talk about reclaiming as we get into this reclaim series is this idea of how do we reclaim our faith. And faith is much more than the ideas that we hold, which is what much of Protestantism has been over the last few hundred years, that faith is somehow some concepts or ideologies or theologies that you have in your head. You just somehow need to shift the theological furniture. And if you've got enough Awana's stars and you can memorize enough Bible verses, then you too are a Christian, right? But that is not what we see in the Gospels. We see it beyond this set of cognitive beliefs. Jesus very rarely says, believe in me, and never says, worship me, but always says, follow me, which means that Jesus is inviting us to practice, that Jesus is inviting us into action, and that's where we see faith. That in the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Luke is where we're going to spend time, is that we're going to see that Jesus asks us to respond in faith to God revealing God's self. That's all that faith is, is our ability to respond. Not responding in a perfect way or in the right way or in the wrong way, but we're just learning to respond. We're growing and maturing and figuring out the process and the progress and the evolution of just learning to respond to a God who is constantly revealing God's self. And I think that's a much more open view of what's happening. And the reason that we're going to look in the Gospel of Luke is because Luke is all about the journey. It's all about the road. It's all about taking you somewhere from the beginning to the very end. So... If we're going to do that, we need to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about Luke and the only time that we see Jesus as a little boy and that time that his parents lost him in the temple. Should have had find my phone on. Then we're going to, that was like a sad joke and that was not prepared, but it just kind of came out of my mouth. So you just got to go with it. Then we're going to talk about the sixth best restaurant in the world that I visited in 2011. That costs a lot of money. And then we're going to talk about reclaiming a few things in our faith and the way that God responds or the way that God reveals God's self and how we can respond to that. And we're going to reclaim some things like creation and the Bible and Jesus and church because those words are incredibly important and they're helpful. And then we're going to talk about how you fall in love with a stone. And if you can fall in love with a stone, then maybe you can fall in love with God. You see where I'm going there. Great. So follow along with me in Luke chapter 2. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, foreshadowing here, because we all know what happens at the end of this story, right? Spoiler alert, Dumbledore dies, book six, so does Jesus. If you did not know that, I don't know where you've been. Okay. Uh, When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom, and after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. I don't know, big caravans, everyone's on the donkeys, who knows where Jesus is at, you get it. 
Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. That's really a long time to go without your kid, by the way, right? You have a lot of aunts and uncles who you really trust. Like 24 hours later, you're like, hmm, where's the son of God at? Oh, I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, wink, wink, foreshadowing again, right? The Passover happens. Three days later, they find Jesus. Woo, the Bible's good. Uh, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And where we're going to spend a lot of time today is, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Luke is the only gospel that has any recollection or mention of Jesus as an adolescent or as a child. Mark doesn't even mention the birth narratives. John doesn't mention the birth narratives. You have Matthew that talks about some genealogies and what's going on with Joseph. And then you have Luke who gives us the most kind of comprehensive Christmas story or nativity story of what Jesus is doing and how Jesus is born into the world. And if you were here in December, you remember us talking about that Jesus being born was this incredibly political and provocative and kind of challenging thing that he was born. It was all challenging who the empire and Caesar Augustus and the powers and the institutions were at the time. And then it moves on to this story of Jesus as a little boy. Why? Well, part of that is Luke is trying to invite you into the road. Uh, when you go through Luke, you're gonna hear that phrase a lot. And then Jesus was on the road. And then Jesus was on the road. Because when you're on a road, you have to move. You actually have to go somewhere. And Jesus is always on the road to Jerusalem, which is incredibly important for what it means to be human. This is not a story about a Jewish Palestinian rabbi being on a road 2,000 years ago. This is a story for humanity and an invitation for us to get on the road as well. It was an invitation from the Christmas stories to say that Christ is being born into the world. Not again, not an event that happens 2,000 years ago, but how can Christ constantly be rebirthed into your life now? And as God is being rebirthed or reclaimed or reconstructed in your being at this moment, that thing will have to grow. So you go from being a baby to being a child. And that's why Luke mentions this, is that Jesus is growing and maturing and coming to more wisdom and more understanding. And so now you must mature and grow as well on your faith journey. That Jesus is like the exemplar. Jesus is the one that we look to as the road, the journey, the path, the way for being human. But so often how we've talked about Jesus is that there is Jesus over there. Jesus does Jesus's thing. And we let Jesus take care of all of the work of sin and pain and death and hurt and all that stuff. And we'll raise our hands and say the right prayers and go to at least two church services a week. And then everything will be okay. Except it wasn't. Except that's not how it works. It wasn't an invitation into believing a few things in your head about Jesus. It was an invitation of faith for you to respond to God being birthed into the world. That if Jesus is willing to go on this human journey, then would you too go on a different journey of learning to die to yourself, of learning to cross boundaries, 
of learning to challenge the powers that be in the world, of learning to hang out with the most God-forsaken, of learning to care about justice and mission for the poor, right? These are the things that Jesus did. He offers us a completely different kind of kingdom, a different kind of ultimate reality than the realities that were often offered, which says that the world is subdivided into the haves and have-nots, so the 1% and the other 99%, but not in this kingdom, my friends. In this kingdom that Jesus is reclaiming, right, everybody is invited to the table. And thus the story of Jesus is an invitation for all of humanity to follow along as well. So you got to be encouraged by this a little bit. You got to get excited about the fact that even Jesus is getting an opportunity to grow in understanding and wisdom, which is kind of an odd thing to say for most of us who grew up in a world where God and Jesus is talked about in a very static or concrete, or absolute, or the least helpful word in the world, perfect way. Because perfect does nothing for you. You cannot attain perfect. Perfect only offers you one option, imperfection, and guilt, shame, and failure. But even the word perfect in the Bible is not concrete and static and absolute, unchanging, or immovable. The word perfect in the Bible is telos. It's about movement. It's about trajectory. It's about the destination and the journey. It's about both and. It's about where you're going. It's about who you're becoming. That's what perfection looks like. It's an invitation to the process and to the progress of this thing called faith. So the one thing that we need to reclaim early on in this is moving away from these static notions of who God is. And part of the reason that we move away from that is that static notions of who God is is something that people utilize uh, when they want to have a lot of power. So have you noticed that dictators or uh, those who have a lot of authority and power in the church, maybe it's that spouse who's always right, right? The constantly black and white, whoever it may be, the authoritarian groups in the world, they often use language of static and concrete and these are how things are. Why? Because you can control that, and you can define that. Who did not use that language? Jesus. When Jesus was answered a question, he told you a story. He opened the thing up. Jesus always went to the places that you weren't supposed to go. Jesus was always trying to de-authoritize the concrete and the static and the immovable because he knew that for human beings, that's just not going to work for you. You can't relate to that because that's not you, and that's not even interesting. What's interesting and what's compelling is us growing and figuring it out just like, like the boy Jesus, right, in understanding and wisdom and getting to respond to faith in a different way. That's what's interesting is moving away from the static and moving away from the concrete and moving to something that's flexible and malleable and that there's mystery and there's the unknown. And what did the early church do? It gave us theologies like the Trinity. What do you do with that, right? That's mystery, that's not concrete. That's like your youth pastors. Well, it's like water and mist and fro and like an egg and all. Like that's someone trying to like I don't really know is what I'm saying, um, right? Or the incarnation, both God and both human. Well, explain that to me. Well, you know, two hundred percent together. Like you don't know. <laughs> it's mystery. That was the invitation into some mystery, into figuring it out, into not having all of the answers. So what we're going to do in reclaiming things is we're going to stop pretending that Jesus is the guy with five PhDs and that if I just read the Bible enough, 
If I just was faithful enough in the terms of like reading the Bible, not doing certain things, and like going to church enough times, then I'll understand the secret codes. That's not what Jesus is offering. And imagine if it was. Imagine if Jesus could sit here right now, he was the five PhDs kind of professor, and he could tell you all of these things. That doesn't do anything for you. That's that's not interesting at all, but that's what we do in church all the time. We just keep telling you more information about the stuff that you already believe, and we're trying to convince more people for the static, finite, definable things so you can have power over it. And Jesus is continuously trying to break us out of that box and say, grow in some understanding, grow on this journey, mature in the fact that you don't actually know it all. And that, my friends, is the exciting thing about being human. And that's the journey that you're on. Now that sounds way more interesting. Now that's the Jesus that I actually want to follow. It's like me describing to you food. And every week, right? What if you went to restaurants? And they didn't like give you real food. They just told you about it, right? And you just sat there and you're like, oh, that steak does sound good, right? Or for you vegans out there, please give me some more avocado toast. Like, you know, it's so, it's so delicious. Uh, Chris and I in 2001 or 2011, that's the other one, uh, we went to France for like 10 days. It was like pre-kids, dual incomes, like we had cash time and money. Come on, we got none of those things now. Here we go, three kids later, starting a church. Fun times. Um, and we're in Paris, and at the time we go to La Atier, the sixth best restaurant in the world. Uh, and we couldn't afford it, but we could afford a little bit more than we do now. And we sit down for this nine-course meal. And what if we had gone there and they're just describing the thing to us? That would be awful. But instead, like, we indulged in this, and they have a sommelier, and they're, like, pouring you, like, a different wine for each tasting. I don't think you're supposed to drink the whole glass, but, hey, when in Rome, France, you got to do what you got to do. I remember getting to, like, the seventh course, and Chris was like, I'm so full, I can't eat anything else. I'm like, that's a $50 bite. You will put that in your mouth, (laughs) and you will enjoy that. Yeah. Because if our credit card doesn't work, we are running out of here. (laughs) Drunk, but running out of here very fast. And why did we do that? Because it was an experience. Because I I love Anthony Bourdain, and I was watching Parts Unknown, and he's hanging out with Joel Rubicon, and I see them talking about food in this really unique way, and I knew that we're going to France, and I'm like, I wonder if we can even get a table there, and somehow we did, and that was way better than watching Anthony Bourdain. It wasn't this static thing on a screen where somebody is talking to me about food. It was a journey. It was a faith. It cost me something. It was sacrifice, right? It took a little bit of work, right? And a lot of water the next day, but we did it. And it was so enjoyable. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. It's going to cost you something. It's going to add up. It's going to take some things from you. But man, when you taste of it, when you see the colors coming together, when you see how each piece has been uniquely placed and and, and it hits your taste buds, and when you look at it with your eyes, and when you smell it, when the ambience of the room and the music is just right, and when you're there with somebody you love, and when you can cry, and when you can laugh, and when you can remember and tell the story five years later, now that's a Jesus I want to follow. Not that I memorize the three verses. You can know the whole Bible and be a dick. Try practicing the Bible and being a dick. And that's what Jesus is saying to us, right? You, you got to like get into this thing and that's what's interesting. So we're moving away from the static. Now let's talk about the three things that we're going to reclaim. 
but before we get to the things that we're going to reclaim, I, I want to talk about just creation really briefly. And creation for us is really important because creation intuitively leads us into the reality that the static and the concrete and the absolute just don't work. Right? If you know anything about the universe as, as we have it, you know that this thing is expanding out at 70,000 kilometers per hour. Right? This thing is moving rapidly fast. Our universe as we know it, including like, in, what, like 24 hours, all the cells in your body will change. We can go on and on, and you've heard these talks, and you've listened to plenty of TED Talks or podcasts, and so you know that like, the physical created world is just phenomenal. Right? And we're trying to get our brains around uh, the ever-changing progress and process of what the created world is. Well, the created world, if we believe it's this good gift from God, it's revealing God to us as a reminder that things don't stay the same, and that's the good in it. So the things that you learn down here are going to contribute to the journey ahead, but you're still not trying to be that thing back there. So everybody who's trying to remind you to like, I don't know, make America great again, or like go back to that church back there, or that there was, a, that was a joke, you can do what you want with that. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't a funny one, but it was still a joke, right? Anytime someone is trying to convince you of a world that is back there, that's not a world worth living. How many times have you been in that church? If we could only be like the first century church without iPhones, that sounds awful. Like, no, that's not the goal. The goal is saying, what did they know about Jesus and their faith community back here? And how does that shape us here? But the truth is, I'm asking different questions in Los Angeles in 2018 than Paul was in Antioch in the year 60. And so if you keep seeing the Bible in a concrete way, you're going to have a really tough time with it because women can't have like long hair and gold jewelry. Like, I don't know why I always go to that voice when I like, have, <laughs> I go to that voice or like my Southern voice whenever I'm like explaining Noah's Ark to people, you know, like the dinosaurs couldn't get in the ark. <laughs> they're just big. It's about how much poop the ark could hold. And they're just too, that, anyways, that's my voice I go to. That was a real tangent. It was going so well. And then I went to my southern, why the dinosaurs can't fit in the ark. And now I have to remember what I was talking about. Creation. Creation is this intuitive reminder that things are ever-changing. And, and it's this intuitive reminder of that because God is saying, hey, this is one of the ways that I'm revealing myself to you. And so every day, it doesn't matter your religion. It doesn't matter where you come from. You get to respond to me, right? Everyone gets a chance for faith because intuitively in this world, God's created beauty and good and love and creation. God's created suffering, right? So that every human being has an opportunity to experience God. But then God also creates these other special forms of revelation like the Bible, and the Bible is supposed to be this thing that unites us and tells us this bigger version of God. But the only ways that we understand this bigger version of God is when we allow the thing to evolve. If we keep the thing static, even the Bible is a warning against itself of what happens. All of the people, like, who is the Bible always warning against? People who want to have a conservative viewpoint that keeps people in the same place. The Bible understands that things grow. We've talked about this so many times in here. You move from God revealing God's self to one person in Abraham, to a family, to a tribe, to an entire people group. Then God reveals God's self in the flesh in a human being in Jesus. And then even God's like, and that's not enough. Because even if Jesus stayed, then you guys are all gonna go on your pilgrimage and try to see Jesus. And you're gonna try to wanna like do what just this rabbi was doing 2000 years ago and said, Jesus has gotta go and my spirit is in all of you, right? The story only gets bigger the whole way through and we need to reclaim that. The universe and the Bible are on a trajectory outward at 70,000 kilometers an hour. It is not static. 
And that should encourage you and that should help you in your life because anytime that you get somewhere, it's part of your journey, but you also haven't arrived because there's no place that you're going to get to in which things are going to be perfect. So if you can trust that God reveals God's self in creation that way and God reveals God's self in the Bible that way, then how does that give you an opportunity to be patient and gracious to yourself where you're actually at in your journey? Then you can respond in faith to all the ways that God is actually revealing God's self to you where you're actually at. And it's not static, and it's not about the fact that you haven't figured it out. It's about the fact that you are figuring it out. And that's what God is actually excited in. So when we get to the Gospel of Luke, you have to recognize that the stories that they put in there about Jesus wasn't the video camera, or right, like the iPhone, can we get enough angles about who Jesus is? Because even if you could see all of those videos, it still wouldn't work for you. All it is, it's the faith community who's had 50 years to evolve after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they're simply asking themselves questions 50 years after that, right? Which means that they've evolved and they've grown and they've changed. In the early church, right, Paul would say things like, Jesus is coming back in the clouds today. He says that in 1 Thessalonians. And then by the time you get to the writings of Paul in Colossians, which are 20 years later, Paul stops talking about the return of Jesus. Why? Because things have changed for Paul. Back here, Jesus' return was imminent, and now down here, he's like, ah, oh, maybe it's not happening as soon as Jesus says, like, I'm coming back soon. He's got a little bit of a delay time on that thing, right? And that changes the way that Paul interacts with this risen Jesus. And so that's an encouragement to you. How as you evolve, are you interacting with this risen Jesus in your current context? It shouldn't be the same way when you were the 18-year-old in that church in that time with that theology. It should be different now. And that's a good thing. But you have choices to make in all of that. You can be cynical about the thing back there. You can be critical about the thing back there. You can always just be analyzing and talking about how bad that thing is. And that's going to get you where? Nowhere. Critique it. That's helpful. Ask some questions about it. That's helpful. Deconstruct the thing. That's helpful. But then begin to reclaim the thing. So that when people ask you about Jesus, you're not talking about the static, absolute thing that never changes and doesn't make room for an ever-evolving world. But when they ask you about Jesus, they say, oh man, when I talk to so-and-so, there's like unity and like fresh breath in there and like grace and love and kindness. And man, when I'm around them, it's like tasting that nine-course meal. It's like drinking each glass of wine. It's like we laugh together and we cry together, right? And we made space for people, whether you are gay or you're straight or you're rich or you're poor or you're black or you're white or you're male or you're female. We said you have a place in this good news too. Now that's the kind of reclaiming that I want to do. When they say the Bible around you, they're not, I'm going to use my joke again, they're not doing the, like the dinosaurs can't fit in the art thing, right? They're saying, oh, you're talking about like the ancient book that's provocative, that's challenging the empires of the world. That book that didn't arrive on its own, but is just making a way for revelation in the, in the future, where the spirit will continue to lead the people of God far, the people of God far beyond the first century. Well, they'll ask new questions in the second century, in the third century, all the way up to the 21st century about what it means to follow this risen Jesus. Now that's the kind of Bible that's provocative. Not one that's stuck in time somewhere back there, but one that says there's these deep truths about humanity that pulls us forward into a new reality. And we can ask questions that actually meaningfully make sense of Jesus here and now and not just 2,000 years ago. So let's talk about heresy real quick, just in case that sounds a little too uncomfortable for you. Two of my favorite heresies from the second century. Uh, a monophysite and Arianism. Monophysites were people who believed that Jesus only appeared as God and the whole human thing was kind of like a JK joke, 
right? Um, mono just means one, and physite means nature, so it just means that God was one nature, but only divine. And a, a lot of us grow up in that world where we pretend that Jesus was fully God and fully human, but really we don't like talking about any of the dirty stuff of what Jesus did, right? So we clean everything up around Jesus, and we make Jesus immovable and unshakable and like static and concrete, and we don't want to like, well, I know he hung out with the prostitute, but like not really, right? We always like have these caveats to what's taking place in the Bible instead of it saying, no, 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 the people that Jesus was most pissed off at were generally the rich and the religious elite, right? Not the sinners, not the broken, not the poor, not the hurting. And so we've switched where it's at. Or we have Arianism, which sometimes I would say most of my group of friends often gets locked into. It's where Jesus is always my homeboy, never the God thing. Right? Jesus is only human. Jesus was only the rabbi, the good teacher, the moral, whatever. But the life of Jesus that we need to reclaim is that both things are incredibly important. That the church a long time ago rejected one side of Jesus or the other. It says you got to reclaim and live into the mystery of both. you got to be okay with the fact that Jesus is human and figuring things out and growing. And isn't that interesting that you get to like actually see that with Jesus on the road and how Jesus is responding right, um, to, to the journey and to the people that he encounters. And at the same time, you got to hold this weird mystery that like John 1, that Jesus is somehow, right, the Christ and before all time and that these things go together. And to like take that away from like theology, like 301, you need a master's degree to know what I just said. It's simply this, that Jesus shows us the very best of what it means to be human. And Jesus shows us the fullness of God. And that the only way, the best of our humanity is found when we're also marrying that with the divinity that, that God is showing us, right? It's, it's that God's spirit is already here. It's that we're already made in God's image. It's that God has already revealed God's self to us. And we don't need to look very far. We only need to look inward. So when Jesus was talking about this radical new kingdom of his, they kept saying, where's this thing at? And Jesus said, it's in your heart. If you want this external world to change, look deep within yourself. And when this begins to change, it'll begin to change the entire world around you. So as we move into 2018, the question for you is, what area of faith do you want to reclaim? What it, do you need to just renew a love for Jesus by saying Jesus is bigger than I've made Jesus out to be? That I've made Jesus static or absolute or uninteresting because of the things that other people have told me about Jesus? Do you need to reclaim a bigger view of God? saying that God was always like in a trajectory of making the thing as big as possible, the tent as wide as humanly can be, right? The creation is showing us that. The Bible is showing us that. Even Jesus having to leave and die is showing us that. Like God's plan was for spirit to be in all, right? In all things, through all things, over all things, as Ephesians 4 tells us. Do you need to reclaim church? Is church just been a, like a gross, naughty, bad word for you? A naughty, that's funny that I said that. Um, is, you know, something that you don't want to participate with because what's interesting about the gospel of Luke is we live in a culture that just says, I'm just doing the Jesus thing on my own and that's enough. That was never how it was supposed to be. This thing was always meant to be lived in a faith community so that you, you have other people mirroring this image of God back to you. So they're mirroring these greater realities back to you. They're mirroring at times when we actually need consequences in our life, right? We still need words like sin, we, still, we need to reclaim those words. It needs to get a little bit broader and bigger than we've had before, but we still need those words because they're helpful and useful in shaping and transforming us on the road ahead. And Jesus knew that and invites us into that journey in reality. 
but it will take time and it will take effort and you need to be gracious and patient with yourself on that journey and trust that everything in the entire universe is already pointing to the fact that it's progress and process. And so we end with this. There was a rabbi and there was a little boy and the little boy comes to the rabbi and says, how can I love God if I've never seen God before? And the rabbi says to the little boy, go find a stone and I want you to hold this stone every day and love this stone every day and let the stone be. Let its peace, let its fact that it's just calm begin to shape you and, and affect you and move you in a way. And when you can love the stone, put it down and go find a flower. And the boy nods. And so when you find this flower, allow the beauty of the flower, allow the change of the flower to shape you and to affect you. Allow that beauty to come inside of you and allow the growth of love from that stone to this flower become bigger within you. Don't go pluck the flower and put it in a vase. You can't control this flower. Allow this flower just to be where it is and accept that beauty and that reality of what the flower is. And the boy nods. And then the rabbi says, then if you can love the stone and you can love the flower, then love your dog. And as you love your dog, allow the dog to run and to come and to go. And it's going to obey you at times and not obey you at others, but feed it and take care of it. And it will teach you something about love in this world. Can you love the dog? And the little boy nods. And then the rabbi says, then love creation, love the mountains and the sky and how big that this thing can get and the breadth and the width of all of the mystery of the universe and if you can love the sky, if you can love the mountains, if you can love the created world, then you'll be able to love more and the boy nods. And then the rabbi says, and then find a partner. Find someone who you can give your life to, who you can sacrifice for, who you can lay your life down for, who you can learn their faults and they can learn yours. Be known by someone else. And the rabbi says, if you can do these things, if you can learn to love a stone, if you can learn to love a flower, if you can learn to love your dog, if you can learn to love the sky, if you can learn to love a partner, then you'll learn to love God. It wasn't about getting the download from the matrix from five PhDs about telling you what the words are and then you'll make it to heaven one day. It was about the gift of the journey and that just like Jesus, from a little baby to a child to a man, it will take time and it will grow in its process and progress. But faith only does that if you choose to respond to God, revealing God's self in your life. Wherever that's at, would you be open in 2018 to that process and to that progress and what faith may look like this year? Let's answer this question with one another. What's one aspect of your faith you want to reclaim in 2018? And how will you go about reclaiming it? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.